Um, but this is not a perfect environment. And um, yeah, y'all come on in. This is, uh, Tammy mentioned it, this is a learning community. And, you know, I, I, I think one of the most important things is that we're around tables together. And so really my job is to be a facilitator of, of your learning, but you're co-facilitators co along with me, and you're going to learn just as much, if not more, from each other. Because one thing about when we're adults, we're not children. We're not coming into a space as an empty cup waiting to be filled. And it's not like I have all the answers, or Lisa has all the answers, or Barry has all the answers. It's we're here to facilitate learning, and you're all bringing tons of experiences um, in, into this space. And so what, part of our philosophy of this space is we sit around tables and we provide opportunities for you to engage in, in learning through some activities. And then there is a teaching part of it. And I'm hoping to draw out, you know, some key points that I hope like really just whet your appetite, uh, for, for more study. Um, but I'm so excited that you're here. It's a big deal that you're here. Um, for two reasons. One, for your own discipleship and, and development. It's a big deal in our culture that you take a Wednesday night out of your busy schedule and you come here. And that's not lost on me. And that's not lost on Jesus either, um, that you're honoring him with your time and, and your life. And that's significant. And the second reason it's significant is for the life of our church um, and the life of, of the community of, of faith. Because the way I look at the church is you know, we're a group of people on a journey together with the Lord. And it's awesome to do that on a Sunday morning. I think it's way more awesome to do that on a Wednesday night in the middle of the week when we can just be around a table and we can share food together and we can really get to know each other. Um, those that were in this class last year, I think really had an opportunity to build some relationships. Um, so I hope that you take advantage of, of that as well over, over the course of, of this study. Um, so let's jump in. We're going to do some learning activities um, as a way of kind of uh, getting us thinking. You've got the first thing that we're going to do is I call it the, the puzzle exercise. Um, see if I get this the right way. Let's go the right way. Oh, we're not advancing. Well, there we go. So you've got puzzle pieces in the middle of your table. So go ahead and take those out. And we're going to take like three to five minutes. I'll just kind of pay attention. And here's the questions. I want you to observe the pieces, and you can kind of pass those out at the table. Um, you know, the image, the shape, what do you think is on each piece? What do you think is on each piece? Just try to figure out, like, what, what is your puzzle a picture of? Um, and then I want you to guess, as a, as a table, what is the overall puzzle picture based on those pieces? And write down your answers on a piece of paper, and we're going to share. All right, so go ahead, guys. we got, like, three, four minutes to do that. All right. Hey, we're um, we're gonna we're just gonna kind of keep moving. We're gonna do lots of, of table exercises like this throughout this course. Um, I don't. Hey, Sarah, I don't think we have a mic, do we? To pass around, do we have a mic? What's that? Oh, that's okay. Hey, so let's just we'll just use our outside voices in here and uh, and shout out. So um, I'd love to hear like tables in the back. Like what what did you find? What do you think was on your puzzle? Okay. So goat, chicken, maybe a farm-esque kind of thing? Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. <laughs> a part of a sheep? 
Yeah. Gotcha. We have pieces of animals. Awesome. What else? Anybody take a guess at like what the overall picture is? What do you think? Noah's. There you go. Yeah, we're in church. It's Noah's Ark. That's right. Uh, I don't know. I'm, well, I'm not saying that's right. We have to wait. Like, but that would be a good guess if that was if that was it. Anybody else? We got a, we got one vote for Noah's Ark. T- two votes. Okay. Three votes, Noah's Ark, or what else? Nativity, okay. Interesting. All right, well, let's see what the survey says. Survey says, oops, wrong way. There we go. There it is. <laughs> yeah, who, who, who knew there was... Um, Apparently, there was ducks and rats at the nativity. Pro- yeah. Probably, pro- probably, and a cat. Yeah. Um, too fun. It was funny when we were preparing for tonight, uh, Sarah and Tammy gave me a choice of two puzzles. This was one, and one was of, like, My Little Pony. And I picked My Little Pony, and they said, yeah, we don't think that's the most appropriate. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so what's the point of this exercise? Um, you know, when, when we approach the scriptures, I think oftentimes the temptation is to approach the scriptures like we approach these puzzle pieces on our table, as, as individual stories that are disconnected, that you're just like holding up stories from the Bible, that you're, you know, you're opening to a particular uh, book, to a particular verse that might be preached on Sunday, and you're like holding that up, and you're looking at it, and like, wow, that's beautiful. Look at that look at that scripture, look at that beautiful image. Um, But what happens is if we never see the whole puzzle piece or the whole puzzle, we never see all the pieces together, then we never see the stories in context with each other. And, And that's what this course is all about. This is really a course where we're zooming out because um, when we're studying things, when you're studying anything, you know, there's two, two ways you can go. You can zoom in on, on something and really get into the finite particulars and all the, all the specific things, or you can zoom out and see the bigger picture. And so this is a zoom out uh, course where we want, what we want to highlight is that every biblical um, story, every verse in the Bible, uh, every book in the Bible has a context, and that context is part of a bigger whole. And so my hope for you is that by the end of this course, you'll be able to, to name what the big picture is. Uh, you'll be able to look at the smaller pictures or pieces of, of the scriptures and really name like what that looks like. And I hope that something happens in your heart as well as you do that. Not only will you have like head knowledge that you can name, like, look, this is what's happening in the Old Testament. And you could describe that to a neighbor or a friend or somebody in your family who might be curious about the scriptures or curious about Jesus. Um, so we're really arming you with an amazing tool, I think, over, over the course of this study. But also that as you do that work in your head and you get that knowledge that something in your heart is transformed as well. And we're going to talk about that uh, tonight, is that we, when we encounter the context of, of God's word in all of its glory and all of its totality and we see the big picture, it really ought to cause us to worship. Um, and, it, and it moves us to a different posture um, in a way that individual pieces don't necessarily do that. All right, plan for tonight. Um, we're going to kind of move through three things. 
Uh, the first thing is we're going to move through this idea of the Bible is a story. The Bible is a story, and I don't know if you've thought about uh, the Bible in, in, in that way before, but the Bible is a story. The second thing, Jesus is king. And the third thing, a biblical worldview. And I know right now you might be thinking, Gabe, like those are, seem like really random topics that are not connected. I promise they're, they're connected, and by the end of the night, uh, that'll make sense to you. Oh, wrong way, I keep doing that. Okay, so first thing is story. Here's a question. I just want you to briefly talk at your tables. Um, how would you describe the Bible to someone who had never read it? And think you can answer that question however you want. Uh, but I was kind of thinking you could start with the Bible is a blank. Somebody's never read the scriptures. How would you describe it? What words would you use? Take a couple of minutes to your table and just talk about that. All right, y'all. Um, sounds like great conversations, and that's what I'm talking about. That's what's going to make this a great experience is, you know, you guys sharing with each other, and uh, I, love, I love hearing that, and I just want to name that, like, I know this can be an intimidating environment. You might, some of you might be coming in here going, I just don't know a lot, you know, and that's why I'm here. I want to learn, and, and I'm, a, I'm afraid to talk, but I, want, I just want to encourage you to share with each other, and we're all learning. I'm a pastor, and I'm still learning all the time, and I'm still learning from from people in our congregation, still, still learning every time I study the scriptures. It's a journey that's never over. None of us have arrived, um, and we learn things from each other in community, and that's what it's all about. Um, so, hey, great job already. I want to hear some of your answers. Um, as, you, as you thought about that question, you're, you're talking to somebody who's never read the Bible. How do we describe it? You can just shout out some answers. It's cool. All God's promises. Beautiful. And that's a deep theme that we're going to get into, uh, the idea of covenant, promise. Great. What else? Don't be afraid of being wrong. Let's just name history. All right. Man, there is definitely some history in the Bible, some interesting history too. God is love. A love story. I love that. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's right. What else? And hey, it's okay to, like, the, we're not, it's not like a right or wrong thing right now because it's like what we think. And part of learning is in the beginning of lear a learning journey, we're naming some things we think that are going to change, uh, hopefully, or else it's probably not worth our time if we're not changing what we think. Yes, ma'am? Love it. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Anybody else? Anybody in the back here? Our, our back table, Baptist back here? <laughs> I'm on to your game. <laughs> Story of redemption. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Um, hey, well, that's good answers and good, and good work. Here's, um, th this is, don't write this down as like Gabe says, the Bible is a, I'm, what I'm naming here is things that I think a lot of times we, we think that the Bible is these, are these things. And, and maybe we think the Bible is like a, a combination of these things. And if we, if we think that, then people that we're, you know, in doing life with in our communities may think these things about the Bible. So I think a lot of people in our culture think, hey, the Bible is basically a collection of rules. It's a bunch of rules to, to follow. Um, and, that, and that, I think, sometimes is like a turnoff to Jesus, right? It's like, I don't want to read the Bible. That's just a bunch of rules. Other people, I think, especially, um, I think, in sort of uh, the more recent generations, you know, I think at the center of our culture is this idea of self-help. 
it, which is this idea that we can improve ourselves and that that's sort of the object of life is just to kind of keep improving ourselves and getting better all the time. And so then we can look at the Bible and say, well, this is a self-help book. And a lot of churches preach the Bible that way of like, let's just, let's just mind this and see how this can help me live my best life now. Um, I think sometimes we can think of the Bible as an instruction manual um, that it's, it's giving us instructions. And it is giving us instructions in some things. Yes, sir. There you go. That could go on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. <laughs> Basic instructions before leaving earth, but as we'll learn, and then coming back to earth. Um, yeah. So, and then, you know, I, I think for me, what I wanted to name in my Christian journey, uh, I grew up in the church, grew up going to, to Sunday school, um, flannel graph and all that sort of thing, learning Bible stories. But what I would tell you is, um, I think in my life, I've moved through all of these of like, to, just to be completely transparent with you in different seasons of my life, I kind of thought of the Bible in these ways or combinations of these ways. But uh, I wanted to share a little bit of, of, of my journey with the scriptures. I came to faith in Jesus when I was 14 years old uh, in, the, in the youth ministry at our church. In fact, my youth pastor who led me to Christ is teaching Discovering Jesus right around the corner. How cool is that? He's in the, in the room back there. Um, so super cool. And he's the man that like really introduced me uh, to the scriptures. Um, and I owe so much to him. But, you know, come to faith in Jesus at 14 and started to read the scriptures, but really started to read it uh, from, I think, a, a self-help book kind of way. Like, you know, I'm in junior high. Life's not going that well. I'm just kind of trying to understand, you know, how to improve my life at that point. Um, I think I moved through a period of seeing it as an instruction manual, but then I went to seminary. Eventually, I decided I wanted to be a pastor, and so I, I went to study theology, um, which is basically studying the knowledge of God, just trying to study, you know, the, the, the Bible uh, as a profession, and so I did that. It took me five and a half years I spent studying the scriptures at Gordon-Conwell, and it was a great experience. It was a beautiful experience. Um, part of that involved learning how to read uh, the Old Testament and the Hebrew um, language, which we're going to talk about later, kind of how the Bible isn't written to us in English in the New Living Translation. It was written in the Hebrew language. We'll talk about that later. So I had this beautiful experience for five and a half years um, try, studying to be a pastor. And I learned all, you know, read the Bible inside and out, learned all the stories, learned how to teach it, learned how to pull it apart, learned how to take one verse and look at it in the original language and do what's called parsing verbs and you're pulling verbs out and you're doing sentence diagramming and all this fancy stuff. And I graduated seminary and I ended up going to South Africa as my first ministry assignment. And I was in South Africa uh, in the Cape Town area and our ministry was to really poor people really poor people in the township environments, which uh, in, in that part of South Africa, uh, the vast majority of our city lived in like basically shanty towns, um, which were tin shacks, I mean, for miles and miles, that's all you could see. And we worked in, the, in, in those sorts of communities, discipling, helping people in their 20s learn how to follow Jesus. And really the Lord completely transformed my view of scripture. Um, during that period, because most of the people that we were serving were functionally illiterate. And I was coming out of an environment where I had this degree that, like, you know, I was super proud of, and look at all the amazing things I can do, and I can read the Hebrew, and I can do all these things, and I can preach an amazing sermon. 
but I'm trying to minister to people that basically can't read the Bible. And I felt like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to teach this because, again, the way I viewed the Bible was really this is individual stories. This is individual scriptures that we can pull things out of, but that's kind of how I understood it. Even as a pastor, even as a missionary in South Africa, that's how I viewed it. And then one day, um, I, was, I was talking to a, a colleague who's working in that same environment. He said, you know, um, I've had a lot of success with oral Bible storytelling. And it was this process of learning how to, how to tell the story of the scriptures verbally. And so I latched onto that. And over a period of about a year, what I realized is the Bible is one complete story. From Genesis to Revelation, it's one cohesive story that makes sense. It's a puzzle that you can look at, and it's beautiful, and it's all tied together, and it's not this random collection of stories. And I think especially sometimes we can know that and believe that about the New Testament. Yes, of course, this is the story of Jesus. But you know what? The same thing is true for the Old Testament. And some of you might be here tonight, and you're like, I'm really intimidated to read some of the Old Testament. It seems very confusing. It doesn't seem relevant to me. It doesn't seem like it's really talking about Christian faith. Like, what is this? But what I want to show you is the Bible, Old Testament to New Testament, is one complete story. And that's, um, sorry, go back here. That's what we call a meta-narrative. A meta-narrative is an ultimate narrative, an ultimate story. And, and so I've come to believe that discipleship, learning how to follow Jesus, like one of the f- most important first things that you need to know is what is the one true story of the world? What is the one true story of the world? What is the meta narrative, the, the, the story above all stories, the story which makes sense of all the smaller stories? And the process of becoming a follower of Jesus is really all about learning how to place your story, because each of you has a story, Each of you has lived a life and you have things that have happened to you and you have places that you've lived and places that you've been and people that you've been in relationships with. You've experienced hard things and really good things and you have this story. But the only way to make sense of our smaller stories is to nest it and to understand it through the lens of a a bigger story. And we're going to talk about why that's at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. And so this isn't just an exercise in in like becoming adept at like a knowledge of scripture, it's really about understanding the only book that we read that also reads us, if that makes sense. All right, so the Bible's one big narrative, um, one complete story, one beautiful story. Um, I wanna break down how I see the scriptures broken out. And, and this came at that same period in my life when I was working with these um, functionally illiterate, but I want to name very intelligent people, very intelligent people that just did not come from a society where, you know, reading was, was at the center of what they were about, but they were really bright people. As I was trying to teach them how to follow Jesus and trying to walk with them, you know, and I stumbled into this idea that it's a story and we can tell stories. And you know what? The beautiful thing is that part of Africa, it's, it's an oral culture. They are... They, they tell stories better than anybody I've ever met. And so that began to work, and they began to learn the, the big story of the Bible and fall in love with Jesus as a result of that. Um, 
And at the same time, I, I took a course online because I was in South Africa from Western Seminary from a guy named Burt Downs, this old professor. And he did a five-hour course called Big Screen View of the Bible. And that, that five-hour course also changed my life because it, he broke down the scriptures, teaching that the Bible is one big story, of and breaking it down into um, categories that really began to make sense to me. And so I hope this is helpful to you as it was helpful to me. So we can look at the scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we can break all the books of the Bible down into three main categories. The first category is our foundational books. Foundational books. And foundational books in the Old Testament are what we call the Torah, the first five books of, of the Bible. Um, and that begins in, in Genesis. Um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And those foundational books teach us the foundational things that we need to know about God. And these are also called the books of, of, of Moses. Foundational things about God, foundational things about humans, foundational things about the world that, that we live in. These are the basic truths of the scriptures. Now, if we fast forward to the New Testament, the same structure is, is true, but the foundational books are the four gospels in that case that tell us the foundational teachings of the Lord Jesus, okay? Once we have the found understanding that, that God gave foundational books to his people, uh, then there's 12 books in the Old Testament that uh, teach us the history of God's people trying to live out those foundational things. And so we see um, the, history, the history books of the Old Testament. We see uh, the Israelites begin to, they, they have the books of Moses, the foundational books, the Torah, and they begin to try to live out those books, the truth of those books. But how does that go for them? I love it. Hand and arm signal. Not, no bueno. Not good, right? Um, yeah, it doesn't go well. Like from the very beginning, like it's not a good history, right? Um, and then that's why this is fascinating. Five foundational books, uh, 12 historical books, 17 instructional books. And, and, and these are um, the, the books of wisdom, like the Psalms and the Proverbs and the prophets, Okay. And what these books are about is these books are correcting God's people in the history books, trying to live out the foundational things because they're messing it up. And so God keeps sending prophets. He keeps sending messengers to remind the people of the foundational things of you remember that I'm God and there's only one God and you can only worship me. But the people are not doing that, right? They're doing all kinds of crazy idol worship and all these things. So God sends prophets and he, and he corrects them. And so I think for me, this is, as we think about zooming out, this was so helpful to me. And I, and I went, guys, I went through five and a half years of seminary and never understood this. And so I think there's like some of the most important things you can learn about the scriptures you can learn in this course. Um, and, and you don't need to go to, I'll save you a bunch of money and time and, and you don't have to do that. Um, but I think what this does is it puts things in context. So when you're reading the book of Genesis, you can understand, hey, that's a foundational book that's telling me foundational things. Um, when I'm reading the book of Esther, I can realize, hey, that's a historical book that's, that's telling a history of God's people, and I'm going to read it in a different way than I read a foundational book. Or when I read Isaiah, you know, that's a, that's a prophetic book that's helping God's people in history live out foundational things. So I hope that's, that's helpful to you um, as you think about uh, reading the scriptures. 
All right, any questions on that before we move on? I know we're not in the best room for questions, but I don't care. You can shout out things if you, if you have a question. All good? All right, we'll keep moving here. I keep getting this thing upside down. There we go. So I just wanted to show you, this is a picture of what the Old Testament looks like in the Hebrew language. Um, and you don't, you don't need to re learn to read this to um, achieve any objective as a Christian. But I had a Hebrew professor. He was actually the dean of the seminary when I was there, Dr. Tim Laniak, one of the most brilliant men I ever met. And Tim, also just such a godly man as well. And um, I had the um, amazing opportunity and slash uh, most difficult academic experience in my life when I had to do a one-on-one -on -one class with Dr. Laniak as a student. And, I, and the class was, I had just learned to read in Hebrew, and every week I had to go to Dr. Laniak's office, and he made me read from my Hebrew Bible and translate it in front of him, and it was like the worst thing ever, <laughs> and, and the best thing ever, too. But I'll never forget that Dr. Laniak said, because he would ha have the Hebrew Bible open on his desk with his cup of coffee, and he, would, he told me, he said, uh, every morning, you know, I read, I, I do my devotionals in, in Hebrew, and I said, well, why? Like, why? You know, because his profession is studying Hebrew, but like, why do your devotional life? And he said, because it reminds me that this is God's word and it's sacred and it's holy and it wasn't written to me first. That it was written to a different people in a different time. And that gives me a reverence for it and it makes me super curious about it. And that really stuck with me. And so I'd just like to tell you, I do not read the Bible in Hebrew. I've forgotten most of my Hebrew. Don't tell Dr. Laniak. Um, but I wanted to show you this because this is what it looks like. And in Hebrew, you read the Hebrew Bible backwards, um, right to left, and you read it lines right, so the sentence starts on top, right to left as well. Um, and I just think that's so cool to remember that God's word um, was written in a language that we can't understand to people that we don't really understand. And at the same time, and this is like the beautiful, magical thing of the scriptures is in somehow it speaks directly into our lives. And how amazing is that? And there is no book on earth that could survive thousands of years, be written in a different language, be written to a completely different culture, and yet when we read it, we're cut to the core, and it changes our life. And, and that's why studying the scriptures is, is, is so powerful. All right. Um, one uh, book I also read during this period of my journey was uh, called The Drama of Scripture, um, a guy named Michael Goheen and Craig Bartholomew said this, in order to understand our world, to make sense of our lives, and to make our most important decisions about how we ought to be living, we depend upon some story. In fact, among some philosophers, theologians, and biblical scholars, there's a growing recognition that a story is the best way of talking about the way the world actually is. And so I think understanding story, not only is that just the most helpful way to understand the scriptures, I think in life, this is what our neighbors and friends and family, this is what everybody's pursuing. Everybody's processing their life through some kind of story. And we're going to talk about that at the end when we talk about worldview. Um, but I think that I just want to make the point that that's why understanding the Bible as a story is incredibly important because that's where the, we get a ton of the power of the scriptures for our lives. Um, Quickly, elements of story that you can pay attention to. All stories have plot, setting, characters, point of view, and, and conflict. Um, and, you know, most stories also have 
um, a hero in the story. Who's the hero of the Bible? Jesus. This is one time where your like Sunday school answer is right. Like, it's Jesus. That's right. But I think much of the time when we talk about the Old Testament, we forget that. That the Old Testament is all about, is all about Jesus too. And so as we're thinking about the scriptures and we, we say it's a story, what we're saying is it has a plot. It's a story. There's a sequence of events. There's settings. Okay, the settings of the scriptures are real places in real um, you know, times in the, in the history of the world. Uh, that it was in, you know, much of it in the Mediterranean world in, in a different time. That there's different characters that we need to understand. Now the point of view I think is interesting. From what point of view is the Bible written? Whose point of view is it written from? Be bold. It's okay. Who do you think? Is it from our point of view? No. It's from God's point of view, right? It's from God's point of view. And that's, 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 man, think about how crazy that is. We have a book that tells us everything that's true about ourselves, about the world, and about God from God's point of view, from his perspective. It's an amazing thing. All right, Carol Kaminsky, the author of your book, says this. There's one redemptive story. And Jesus is at its center. And that's what we want to talk about next. Um, Jesus is at the center of, of the story. And we're going to go to our tables. And this is going to be a little bit longer exercise. Um, I, you know, it could be like 10 or 15 minutes even. I'm just pay attention to how you guys are doing. Don't rush, like, because the point is you guys be in the work. So I want you at your tables to open this, whatever copy of the scriptures you have, the Hebrews 9, 11 through 28, Hebrews 9, 11 through 28. This is, Hebrews is a book in the New Testament, but it's a book in the New Testament that's making sense of the Old Testament, um, which, is, which is an amazing thing. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify references to the Old Testament um, in, in that passage. And it's a, pretty, you know, it's a longer passage, but identify the references. And if you have a Bible that has like cross-references, you can actually look at, look at that. Because it'll tell you, like, hey, this is quoting Isaiah. You know, this is quoting Genesis. Um, so as much as you can, you know, you can just circle or underline or write down references to the Old Testament in that. Um, secondly, I want you to identify descriptions of Jesus that you see in there. Um, and then finally, I want you guys to talk about what you learn about the relationship between the Old Testament and Jesus from this passage. Anybody have any questions on on this assignment as we dive into to the word here for a few minutes? Any thoughts? All right. And hey, share it. Remember what I said, share at your tables, um, share your opinions, perspectives. You can argue with each other a little bit. That'd be fun to see. All right. Um, we'll take 10 or 15 minutes and do that. All right. Some good conversations. Go ahead and take a, take a minute and wrap them up. All right. Um, I'd love to hear some of, some of your learnings. Um, you know, this, this first uh, part here, identify references in the Old Testament. What, like, images um, or words that come from the Old Testament narrative did you, did you identify um, in this passage? How about, how about this table? Is it table four? I can't see. Tom's table. Yeah, so it's pretty gruesome imagery, like if your neighbors never read the Bible and you're like, check it out. Heifers and sacrifice, it's amazing. Um, 
But you're right. Like that was that's a, those are images of the Old Testament sacrificial system that are now being made sense of. What else did you see in terms of uh, references or images from the Old Testament? Moses and the law. Okay, that's pretty huge. Yeah. Like we talked about, that's the foundational truth, right? The, the law of Moses was um, the foundational truth that God gave to the Israelites right in the beginning of, of the story. Exactly. So we have the law referenced. We have the sacrificial system referenced. What else did you see? Ransom and forgiveness. Okay. Yeah. Covenant. Old covenant. And what does the word covenant mean? Do you guys know? Barry's going to talk to us about that next week. But promise. It's a promise. The promises of God. What's that? Lots of blood. Lots of blood. Yeah, and blood is an, is is important um, in in God's story. And in fact, it's in the it's in the beginning of the story. If you remember in Genesis chapter three, um, so right like in the opening kind of scenes of of the Bible in the Old Testament, you have the Garden of Eden and you have, you know, Adam and Eve made by God and this really amazing image of uh, of them living in this perfect garden and and God walking with them and talking with them and in this, like, real, real relationship with them. But we know they sin, right? They rebel. They decide they know better than God. And so they do the one thing that he asked them not to do. And at that moment, it says that they were uh, um, ashamed and afraid. They realized they were naked. Um, and all of a sudden, they, they ran. And do you remember what they did, the first thing they did? They hid, and then what did they do? They covered up with, with fig leaves, which is really funny, I think. Um, you know, that's not a good covering. Nobody's making clothes out of fig leaves anymore for a reason. Um, so they cover up, and then God asks this question, where are you? Uh, and, he find, and he finds them. Of course, he knows where they are. He's God. Uh, and, but it's, there's an act there that sometimes I think we, we miss, and this act that God does is it says um, he makes a covering for, for them out of the skin of an animal, which what's implied, he killed the animal. And so what you see is right in the very beginning of the story that there's, there's rebellion and sin and nakedness and shame, and then, but God's response is, I'm, I'm going to move in, I'm going to cover you, but the covering is costly, the covering cost of life, and and that's going to be an important theme, and it's a and it's a um, it's a foretaste of what's to come, right? It's a foreshadowing of what's to come, and so then we see through all throughout the scriptures, and this is what Hebrews referencing is the whole story, those historical books of God's people living out, you know, those foundational things. They live in this the sacrificial system where they have to continue. They're continually sinning. They're continually rebelling and make, making mistakes, and moving away from God, and then they're continuing having to cover with blood. And I heard some of the tables talking about this. When you think about that process of the sacrificial system of continually covering with blood, like, how does that feel to you? Yuck. Messy. What else? Gruesome. What's that? Hopeless. Hope, why? Why is that Hopeless. always having, it's continuous. 
you never get to the end. You never, you, it's never over. I think I heard one table say exhausting when I was walking around. Like, that's just exhausting. And it is. Um, and it's not the dream. And it's not God's dream for his people to have to, to, keep, to keep doing that. So you see this imagery. So then the next part of this is really important. So we have all the Old Testament and the systems and the law and like the way we're even experiencing that in 15 minutes of reading it is like, oh my gosh, this is gruesome and continuous and hopeless and exhausting. And we begin to feel the weight of that. But then we read about Jesus. And what, how does this passage describe Jesus? What's the first like description it gives? High priest. Who is the high priest in, in the Old Testament? Aaron, yeah. Melchizedek. Whoa, that's a that's a mouthful. Yeah. What is, what was the job of the high priest? He's the mediator. Okay. Yeah, so in the Old Testament, the, the high priest in the temple, right, he he was in charge of the sacrificial system. And then once a year, he had to go into the holy of holiest places, the place where God's presence was. And it was so holy that he had to purify himself and cleanse himself. And, and then they would tie a rope around his ankle. Why, do you know why they would do that? In case he died. That's right. In case the glory of God was too much for him or he went in unclean and he died in there and they could pull him out. I don't know if that ever happened, but I don't know if that's in there somewhere. I've never read that, but um, but yeah, so that was the high priest, and he oversaw this system, and so that word mediator is the important word because the people could not go into the holy, holy place. They could not get in the presence of God. They needed a high priest to cleanse himself and tie a rope around his leg and like with fear and trepidation enter into this place. And that priest stood between God's people and God himself. And so how does that feel to you? Just as I'm describing that, if you're like one of the people, uh, the Israelites, and this is happening and you're just kind of in the courtyard, how does that feel? Disconnected. That's, yeah. What else? What's that? Uncontrolling. Yep. Second. Okay. Unwelcomed insignificant. Yeah. Doesn't feel nice, does it? And so again, it's not the dream, right? It's not the dream. Because remember, and we're going to talk a lot about this in this course, the, the beginning of the story, we learn that God, God has a beautiful vision for humanity. And he's, because in the beginning he makes us, he says, we're very good. And he's walking with the, with Adam and Eve and he's with them in the cool of the day. Um, and there's this connection, and we, when we read that part of the story, it feels amazing. We're like, that's what I long for. I, I, I long to be in that place where um, there's, there's no relational disconnection, where I know God and he knows me, and there's no shame, and there's no hiding, and there's no fear. And we long for that in our life, don't we? Um, and yet that's not what's happened in the world, and that's what's being described in this passage, but Jesus is the high priest. He's the mediator. So now there's no longer a high priest. Jesus is the mediator. He's gone to the cross. And now all of a sudden the cross starts to make a lot of sense, right? It's because the cross is part of that sacrificial system where blood was shed, right? Um, and it, but it was a once and done deal. And once and done, and we're covered. 
And then what does that do if we believe and we trust in, in Jesus? What does that mean for us? Eternal life. What else does it mean? What's that? In God's eyes, yes, we're perfect. What, what else? Forgiveness? Yeah, forgiveness. Relationship. And that's going to be such an important word. That there's a restoration of relationship between God and people, and that's accomplished through the work of Jesus. And so, um, what we, the whole point here is that the whole Old Testament is, oh, there's a big cockroach. See, that's part of, that's part of the fall. That's part of, see, that's not the dream that in heaven, no cockroaches on the stage. Um, here's, here's, oh yeah, there was a sacrifice up here. Um, death just happened right before your eyes. Um, you know, we're teaching through Romans right now and um, really teaching through like what is, what is the good news. And I, and I really wanted to frame this up for you tonight as you're, as we're preparing to go through the Old Testament, and I want you to see that, you know, the, the sinner, if we say, what is the good news? Then the good news, the gospel, we call it the gospel. I like to say the good news. The center of the good news is that this one truth that Jesus is the king, that he's the fulfillment of all the promises of God in the Old Testament, and that he's the king, meaning he's the ruler over all the universe, and Really, the Bible is a story about how Jesus became king. And really, the story of the good news is, is the story of Jesus as, as king. And so, just want to move through these to understand um, the good news. Uh, you know, if, if your neighbor asks you, you know, what, is it, what does it mean to be a Christian? Um, what does it mean to believe in this good news? You know, it's a story. And it's a story about a king. And it's a story about the one true king of the world and the one true story of the world. And that's what I want you to catch tonight. So, you know, first, good news. Jesus pre-existed creation with the Father, John 1.1. In the beginning, there was God and he was with God in the beginning. It's a reference to Genesis 1. John 1, the gospel story, account of Jesus' life, references Genesis 1. That in the very beginning of time, before anything was created, Jesus was there. And that's the truth of the scripture. And so the story of Jesus becoming king is that he was always king. Second, he became flesh and fulfilled the promises of God. That's what we just read about in Hebrews, that this messiness in the world, that because of sin and because of, of, of the fallenness of humanity in the world, there had to be this sacrificial system, but it was exhausting and draining and continual and hopeless and it didn't work. And so God, not content to leave people hopeless and exhausted, entered back into the story. And so the king came back. The king that was there at the beginning, whose words created the universe, came back into the story. He put on flesh, and he fulfilled the promises of God. And that's the whole story of the New Testament, is, is, is that story. And that he died for our sins, that he uh, was the ultimate sacrifice, that he was the one true lamb perfect sacrifice, that he was buried, that he was really dead, that he was raised on the third day, that he appeared to many. And this is the story of the resurrection, right? And on Sunday, I was preaching this, and one of the things I, I said is that I think sometimes in, in our understanding of Christianity, we stop here. We say he, he, he 
came and he lived and he died. He was buried and he was raised and that's it. And that because of that, we get to go to heaven. But that's not the end of the story that the Old Testament and the New Testament, the one story of, of, of the scriptures point us to. Because this, this last two points are really important. That he is seated at God's right hand as Lord. And that he will come again as judge. And so the dream of, of God and the story from beginning to end is a story of a king. And, you know, to be part of his kingdom means that we believe in him, that we put our trust in him, that we place our allegiance to him alone, right? And we say, I serve you only. Because why? Because he's the one true king. Because he was there in the beginning and he'll come again and make all things new. And so to understand this story, what I want you to see is you cannot understand this story just by reading the New Testament. You have to understand the context of Jesus putting on flesh. And like, why did he have to do that? And like, why did he have to die? And the answer isn't so much in theological points as it is a story. And if you want to make sense of complicated things in life, look to the story. You know, if you think about our lives, our stories, we're very complicated people, aren't we? Um, We really are. To understand a person, right, you can't just learn facts about a person and really understand a person. You have to know their story because story is a place that's holy and sacred and a place that makes sense of life, right? And so if we want to understand the true story of the world, if we want to understand who Jesus is, we have to know the whole story. And so that's why I'm really excited that you're here um, for this teaching um, this year because my hope is that you walk away um, really understanding a different worldview. And this is the last thing I want to just end briefly on before we spend some time um, praying together. But um, does anybody know what a worldview is? If I say worldview, what does that mean? A lens? That's exactly right. You stole my notes ahead of time. That's right. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's a lens. Um, A worldview is a lens through which you view the world. And we all have a worldview. Um, We all have a lens that we interpret the world uh, through. And I would submit to you that that part of a worldview is a story, a narrative. It's it's what do we think is true in the world. Um, What are some common stories in the world that are not the biblical story? Like, what are some big stories that people tell to make sense of the world? Happiness is the most important thing. Yeah, sure. Power and money. Yeah, if I just get enough power and I just get enough money, then my life will be good. Sure. Follow your heart. Oh, boy. That feels nice, right, for a second. But then you're like, that never ends that well. Yeah. As it turns out, our hearts don't know very much. What else? What are some other stories? <laughs> if it is to be, it's up to me. Yeah, which is really individualism, right? It's me at the center of, of the story in the, in, in the world. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, I, always, I just moved back to Charlotte two years ago. I grew up here, um, but Charlotte's changed a lot, and... Uh, I remember when I grew up, South Park Mall, right, was not bougie. <laughs> South Park Mall was a place where I went to the cafeteria with my grandmothers when we went to Woolworths. Um, 
seriously. That's what I remember. Um, but you walk into South Park Mall now, right? And it's like this temple of the world, right? And it's fascinating to me. You walk in there and it's telling you a story. I mean, that place, that mall is telling a story. What's the story that South Park Mall is telling you? If a true story of the world, if a worldview tells you everything, like it tells you what's true about the world, it tells you what's really important, it tells you what it takes to be successful, um, it tells you all these true things, or not true, but it tells you things that it wants you to believe. What is the mall telling us? What's the story? What's that? You can have it all. Glamour. Materialism. Yeah. What else? I'm poor. <laughs> I'm poor, yeah. Who can buy all this stuff? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It, I think it really is like a temple in our culture. And you walk in there and you think about it. And it's a place, like, look, people are made to be worshipers. And we, we, we walk into this space and it invites us to feel something. And it invites us to desire things, right? And what it says is, if you want to be really important, if you want to be a person of significance, if you want your life to count, right, you better have it all. And you better wear the right clothes and you better drive the right car and you better drink the high-end coffee and you better wear the right clothes, Right? And that's what makes you valuable. And so it's telling a story of money and power and significance and whatever. And here's the deal. Like, everywhere we go in the world, the world is telling us a story. But it's not the true story. And so the reason I wanted to end here is because, you know, um, stories... uh, the world invites us into stories, but there's a story that God invites you into. And that's what this class is all about. Um, and, and I hope that, like, beyond theology, I mean, I hope you do get a deeper understanding of the scriptures and you feel comfortable and confident in there. And I'm so excited that there's some of you here tonight that, like, you've just bought your first Bible. And you're learning to read it. That's so exciting to me. And I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm so glad that there's some of us here who have studied the Bible a long time, but we've gone, you know what? I, I, I don't know everything I want to know. And, and, and maybe over the years, I've just kind of drifted away. Um, and I, I've gone to church, but I haven't really engaged my faith in a way that I want. And now I'm here tonight. And to you, I want to say I'm so glad that you're here. And, and maybe there's people here tonight that you're still not sure what you think about God. And, and, and you're here, and you're exploring it, and I'm so glad that you're here because the world is telling you a story that will destroy your life. The world is telling you a story that's not true about who you are and will end in death. But this story that we're studying from Genesis to Revelation, it's the one true story of the world. And if we can, if we can see the puzzle as it is, then we'll start to understand what's true about ultimate reality. We'll start to understand what it really means to be a human being. Because guess what? There was only one true human being who ever lived. His name was Jesus. 
when it says he lived the perfect life, what it means is he, he's the only true human. He's the only one, if we look at it and say, what does it really mean to be a, a human being created in the image of God, living for purpose for him? We look at the person of Jesus, and it, it tells us what gives meaning to our life, and it tells us what happens after death, and it tells us that there's a story beyond our story. And all of a sudden, the weight of our smaller stories doesn't feel so heavy anymore. Because it's not all up to you to figure it out. It's not up to you to just pick the right job and marry the right person and, and just make all the right decisions and, and then your life will make sense and you'll be happy. That's not the story of God. The story of God is that you're made in his image, that, that he wants a relationship with you, and that over thousands of years he's made this crazy way for, for you to be in a relationship with the God who made you and who made the universe. And, and that's the story, and it's a hope of, it's a story of hope. It's a story of love. It's a story of identity. And that's what it's about. And man, if you can walk away from this year, like with a conviction, not just knowing that story, but believing it in the depths of your heart and going, I know who I am because I know the true story of the world, then we win. And that's it. And that's what the church is about. Um, so, hey, thanks. This has been a great evening. I hope it's a whet your appetite for a lot more teaching this year. Um, next week, we've got the one and the only Barry Giller up to teach us. Give him a round of applause. Let him know. There you go. Uh, Barry's like, I'm going to kill you later, Gabe. Um, no, but it's, uh, that's, it's so fun to get to team teach these things. And, um, and so I'm so excited for you. Um, always reach out if you have questions. The one, the only Tammy Matters is here with a word, maybe. Okay. Okay, if you have questions you didn't want to ask publicly, we're here. So, hey, let me pray for you guys uh, as you go out from here. Um, so encouraged tonight by your presence. Lord, uh, we thank you that you, you are the God that we're talking to right now is the God that was hovering over the waters in the beginning. And Lord, we just thank you that uh, it, it's an unbelievable privilege that, that we get to call on you in this way because we know you and you know us. And we know that even more than that, you're present here among us. You promised that where two or more are gathered in your name, you're present. And so we know that you're here and um, we're in awe of that. And Lord, I pray for my friends around these tables in this, in this room tonight, Lord. Uh, each one is here according to your purposes, not by accident. And so, Lord, I pray for holy encounters this year. Lord, I pray that you would show up and make yourself known as, as we open your word, as we study your one true story. Lord, would you rock our small stories and, and Lord, would you transform our understanding of who we are, that we would be a people of deep conviction and that we would go out from this experience with a courage and a confidence and a settledness of our heart because we know who we are and we know who you are and we know that you're coming again. So Lord, thank you for this place. Thank you for this church. Thank you for this people. And we pray all of this in the name of the one true king, the hero of the story, the Lord Jesus, amen. All right, y'all.